Hey, what's going on? Um, this is Champagne Sharks. This is Trevor. You could find me on Twitter at Ricky Rawls. And the Champagne Sharks Twitter account, the group account is just at Champagne Sharks. Very simple. And if you want to become a subscriber, just uh, sign up for $5 a month at patreon.com forward slash Champagne Sharks. The link will be in the show notes. And you get not only uh, two episodes a week instead of one, you get it backlog of paid episodes which at this point's got to be about 60 so it's a great deal and yeah without further ado um we have our guest kenny say what's up to the people hey how you doing yeah i'll tell the people whatever you want them to know about yourself uh my name is kenny um i have a twitter page but it's really pointless to give you guys a twitter because i only talk sports uh, and i choose to do that on purpose my last i had another twitter page but i deleted it and it was uh more political but i just get more I have conversations with people on the side about certain things, but my main Twitter feed is just about sports. But if you want to talk about sports, you can follow me on Twitter at Black Sports NW at Twitter or however you do that Twitter. Um, but it's Black yeah, Sports NW. I'll put, the link, I'll put the link in the show notes anyway. Okay. All right. Cool. Thanks. But yeah, and also tell people, you know, anything else you think is important, like, you know, that you do, what your field of expertise is. Like, I know you do stuff with education and stuff. Absolutely. So, um, I have a background in education. Um, I'm actually a contractor. So I do a lot of things in education as far as trade. So I'm really huge. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm in Portland, Oregon. So I'm in Portland, Oregon. Uh, you know, they think it's the home of tech, but we have so many trade jobs as far as like manual labor, welders, pipe fitters, steam fitters. So I'm a job contractor for the Urban League and for uh, what we call Department of Human Services. And um I find jobs and create partnerships with uh, organizations and help people get into vocational training. And yeah, that's, that's what I do. I, I like what I do, you know, um, and it gives me a lot of flexibility. I have a little business on the side that I do, you know, but um, yeah, that's pretty much what I do. I spent a lot of time doing research at Portland State University in their black studies department. Um, I spent six years doing that. And uh, we've been I did a lot of quantitative and qualitative research um, and we did everything focused on from Sheesh, from uh, black, male, uh, black male mentorship on predominantly white campuses and also on gentrification that's going on in Portland and trying to find out where and why uh, African-Americans are leaving, which has gave us a lot of information um, that we started doing this research in 2011. And um, it's 2018. And I can tell you right now that there are no black people here. We're, they're all gone. And who is commissioning? I'm sorry if I missed this, but who's commissioning and conducting uh, the research? Is it the Urban League or someone else? Well, I, when I was doing the research, I was doing it with a guy named Kofi Agorsa. He was the chair of the Black Studies Department at Portland State University. So I did it with him and uh, Dr. Daryl Milner, who is, um, if you just Google Dr. Milner's name, he's a, he pretty much created the Black Studies Department at Portland State University in 1972. Uh, both of them are both retired now, but I look at they're both of them are mentors of, of mine. They're both retired. And we did a lot of research um, here in Portland in the midst of uh, the beginning of uh, the beginning of gentrification started in 1993. We saw the blue, the blueprints for it, um, something that nobody else in the community saw. And uh, there's a there's a organization called PDC, Portland Development Commission. And they were the ones they changed their names. I don't I don't know offhand what they changed their names to, but um, they were the ones that helped draw up the conclusion of how they were going to, in other words, uh, gentrify north and northeast Portland. So north and northeast Portland was predominantly black. I grew up here it was predominantly black. 
if you had white people in your neighborhood, you were lucky. Um, I grew up in North Portland in the Columbia Villa, which has a history going back to um, World War II, when majority of African-Americans moved here from the South for the war effort. So there was a flood. You can Google, it's called the Vanport Flood. And that community was washed away in a flood. So majority of us moved up to what they call the Piedmont neighborhood. And uh, that's the neighborhood we were in, which is in Metro uh, North Portland. And around 1993, you started seeing the neighborhoods deteriorating and a lot of the funding going elsewhere. Then all of a sudden people are leaving. Taxes, the, the, the taxes started going up. A lot of people started selling their homes and it just got really ugly. Um, there was an initiative that came out from PDC. Um, they said the money that they had left over, they were going to give it to established black businesses. But the, the caveat was you could not use any of the money for job creation. I thought that was very interesting. Ooh. Yes. Wow. So they call it the North and Northeast Portland Corridor, which is um, pretty much where all the black people live. So you could the only established businesses in North and Northeast Portland at the time that they were given this money back, some churches, an alternative school, a restaurant here or two. You know what I mean? Because this we're going on 18 years of people moving in and out. But I thought it was very interesting that they were specific that you could not use any of the money on job creation. Now, now let me ask you this, because um, I have a pretty good idea. And I'm sure, uh, you know, as well what the personal reason was for not doing the job creation because that makes the gentrification easier yeah. you know if people don't have money to keep up with the cost of living it makes it that much easier to absolutely get them out and and if they have jobs especially jobs that might lead to promotions or whatever it's going to be harder to do that like i get that but what usually when they have those kind of fucked up uh provisions they usually have like a decoy reason uh do you recall any kind of decoy reason because they can't say opening the proposal we're doing this because we um want to get everybody the fuck out of here you know no uh, uh at that time one of the things the infrastructure in that neighborhood was really bad so they took uh money that they got from the state the government wherever they got the money from and uh there was there were um large apartment tenement. So the Columbia Villa was um, torn down. Um, it was rebuilt, but everybody that lived there could not come back. Now that that area was is used to be really uh, heavy in the military. So all the homes, the, all the homes look the same. You know, it's a, it's a housing project. So but they're yeah. individual homes. So all the homes there were there for the war effort. So when the military during World War Two was there, that's where they stayed. So when the war was over, people left. When Vanport, the flood happened, that's where black people moved to. The flood happened in 1952, if I'm not mistaken. I, I don't have the numbers uh, off top. Um, so they tore those down. There's another apartment complex called the Sumner Courts. They tore those down. They rebuilt them into something else. And what they did was when they tore these places down and built them back up, they built the neighborhood up around them. So the neighborhoods around them, they started buying up the properties, buying up. So the, it was, quote unquote, urban renewal. But they didn't what they didn't tell us is that you can't afford this new. The developers came in and, you know, did what they do. So you can't afford eleven hundred dollars a month for rent unless you can live inside these apartments that they tore down and rebuilt. You know what yeah. I mean? And and that's going to be majority Section 8, uh, uh, affordable housing for elderly people, you know, stuff like that. Also, uh, Portland Community College is the biggest college in the state as far as how many buildings they have. So Portland Community College was once on one corner. That was all. Now Portland Community College, because they got these bond measures to pass, all these all these education bonds 
for them to buy up buildings. There's a lot of vacant buildings in North and Northeast Portland. And, you know, when black people wanted to get these buildings, they wouldn't they couldn't get loans to get the buildings. You know, this is going all the way back to the 1980s. You know, there were these these buildings have been vacant for 25 years, you know. So PCC is buying up a lot of these buildings, you know. Um, so once they start pushing, pushing, oh, going towards the freeway, that's also eliminating homes. So a lot of homes that were vacant, they just tore the homes down. You know, what I mean, it's pretty it, they made it towards there's nowhere for you to live, you know, unless you can afford however much this house is for rent for, or unless you're in affordable housing in these apartments that are the wait list is, you know, 8,000 people long. You know what I mean? So what ends up yeah. happening is all of the people that couldn't afford to live there are pushed into East County. Now, East County is basically no man's land. There's nothing there. There's literally nothing there. There's no jobs there. My job is in East County. And majority of all my clients come from East County and they're looking for jobs, but I have to send them going towards downtown to get these jobs. And that's literally a 45 minute bus ride or maybe a 20 minute drive if you're if you drive, you know, so it's just it's the it's the typical displacement for the betterment of the city. You know, you could say that, you know, yeah. and, and the casualties of war are the people. And also, I, I know back then there was no Internet and stuff like nowadays you'd probably to use a decoy reason a lot more explicitly but i know a lot of things back then a lot of people just didn't look at that stuff like the people in the neighborhoods no. weren't always that politically active going into proposal it wasn't like not. now where you can just go online and just pull up proposals and you know like yeah. even if even with local politics i pull up old proposals from like the 80s relating to brooklyn yeah. just out of curiosity but back then, yeah. you couldn't even do that about something that passed just last week, you know? So. Well, you know, if you live in a community where people are not really politically active, um, yeah. like I said, the, these blueprints were put together in 1993. You know, my grandmother, uh, my family owns property in that neighborhood. We've been there since 1969, you know? And I yeah. asked my dad about, have he ever seen this stuff? He said, no, he's never seen it. And, and he's a homeowner. And it's, like, and it's like in 1993, like, how would you see it? You probably have to go yeah. down somewhere in person and right. try to, you know, get someone at some kind of city or county office to produce the stuff for you. And who has the time to do that? It's not like yeah, now yeah. where the uh, municipal website has like a PDF and a link and you just see what passed last week or download the PDF right, of right. whatever's on. Yeah, you so would have to be you would have to know somebody who works for the county or works for the city that would tell you, hey, we're doing a there's going to be a town hall meeting or, or a city council meeting or some type of get together of people that are talking about A, B, C, and D. And if you're not connected with those people, you know, then you just yeah. don't know about it. Maybe you might get something in the mail. You know what I mean? You might, you know, but, um, you know, I grew up in a house where both parents worked. Uh, my dad worked nights. My mom worked days. There was never anybody at home, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. And, and those things are always usually scheduled, like, you know, at either like four, you know, during the day or right after work, like, you know, yeah. and yeah, people yeah, want to go that, home. Those, are, those meetings are at five o'clock. And the only yeah. people that have the luxury of getting those jobs are people that work a square nine to five Monday through Friday, which yeah. most people who are struggling to make ends meet or working unless or, or you work blue collar. But even blue collar people are probably working 12 hour shifts. So you don't really, oh, and, you know, uh, you don't. There's a lot of things that and, I learned. And off shifts. Yeah. Yeah. People yeah. always work. Uh, some people work work nights, you know, on the yeah. highway. You know, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. You don't have those options. One of the things that I learned, um, I have a friend who's a teacher and I learned that. Another way that they were gentrifying neighborhoods in Portland is that a lot of the HUD homes that used to be Section 8 homes, they put those homes in a lottery. And the police, if you're a police officer, a fireman, teacher, or any type of city official, you have, you can put your name in a lottery 
and they want you to get those homes and they're selling them to you for literally nothing. So that's another way that they do it so that they can for the betterment of the community, you know. Um, and then I have to ask myself, I'm living in a city like Portland. How many black people are police officers? How many black people are firefighters? How many? I can tell you on, on hand how many black teachers I had. So it just so happens I had a friend who's a teacher and she told me that they have access to these homes and they push teachers, firemen, policemen to, to buy these homes for the betterment yeah. of the community to, to help gentrify. Mm. And the caveat is you're getting the house. It could be a $250,000 house. You're getting it for 125 grand. The caveat is you can't sell the house for five years. That's it. And most people so that's don't that's another anyway. way that they do it. Yeah, that's, that's something. One thing that you told me off air, which really shocked me was, um, I've met through my life a lot of people who were from Portland, like uh, none of them live there now. But, you know, I met people who were from Portland or lived there and they were telling me about Portland back in the day. There used to be like uh, gang problems and there used to be all these black people. So I assumed it was like Brooklyn, where even with the gentrification, there was still a lot of black pockets based on how much black people they were describing in the 80s and 90s. You told me the population right now is actually uh, what? Three per, between between three and four percent black. That's amazing. And the yeah. little bit of black people we do have. Well, the research that I did, we found that black people were moving to Atlanta, of course, Pittsburgh, and Minnesota. Hmm. I don't know why we're moving to Minnesota, but I, I believe Atlanta. You know, I, I know a lot of black people from Portland. Yeah, yeah. Atlanta. That was a big place for New Yorkers to go to. Yeah, uh, as well. I remember that back when it was called Black Mecca. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not even sure why Atlanta's like now because I know it's not. It didn't quite live up to what people expected it to be, but there was a time where a lot there was a lot of opportunity in Atlanta. Yeah, so that doesn't surprise me. Minnesota kind of surprised me. Yeah, and Pittsburgh. You know, I, I didn't I didn't understand why uh, Pittsburgh. I know a lot of black people that I know moved to Vegas. So there's a running joke. I always tell the joke that um, black people from L.A. moved to Phoenix. They moved to L.A. Uh, uh, they moved to Phoenix. They moved to Vegas, and they moved to uh, Atlanta. Black people from Portland moved to Phoenix, they moved to Vegas, they moved to Atlanta or Seattle. You know, a lot of black people from L.A. don't really want to go to Seattle for some reason. Interesting. And, you know, I, I find it ironic that when we do leave, we only go, we don't go that far away. Yeah. You know, it's like you said, people in New York, they go to Atlanta. Well, they, they also go to like Virginia, North Carolina, you know. Yeah. In the 80s, a big place was Miami, especially because we have a lot of Caribbean people here. A lot of yeah. them love Used to love, still love going to Miami and stuff. Uh, but yeah, I remember so many, so many New Yorkers went to Miami. There, there became a wave of people coming back from Miami to New York, like around yeah. the '90s. And then yeah. you ask them why, and they're like, "Yo, all the motherfuckers I was trying to get away from moved Came down to there. Miami." Yeah, so just that might as well just come back. So yeah, yeah, that's how many people used to go go down there. But um, when I went to Vegas, you know what's interesting about Vegas? I met. The first couple of um, nights I was um, in Vegas, when I went, it was the strip and it was all the touristy shit. And I'm like, you know what? This is kind of like cool, but it's really artificial and it's weird. And the more days I spend here, I'm not enjoying it. So I said, you know what? I'm going to go into real Vegas. Like, yeah. Whenever I go to a city, I always like to like go past the touristy stuff and see oh, like yeah. what's what. And yeah, man, I spent- behind the curtain. Yeah, I spent one day in real Vegas. I'm like, you know what? I'm making an exception this time. I'm going back to the touristy shit for the rest. Like that was <laughs> that was the most depressing shit I've seen. I mean, in Nevada. Oh god, I went to like all that. these different. Yeah, man. Oh, you know, whenever man. you're running from a warrant, people go to Vegas. I don't know why. That's exactly what I was gonna say next. You totally got. I 
met a lot of like like ex gangbangers and stuff yep. like that who had yep. relocated there, you know, and we're kind of like just trying to restart there. Like a lot of like my um cab drivers or people I would meet when I went into this like there was like this uh block party that was in um a real part of Vegas where like people lived. And I went there and it was just I would just talk to random people and they would a lot of people were kind of dusty, like Oh yeah. And it was like it was across the board, like there were like a lot of dusty Asian people, dusty yeah, white people, dusty. dusty. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of people were running from something, whether they were yep. white, black, and or Asian. They were trying to get away from something and like kind of start fresh. And yeah, a lot uh, of guys, a lot of guys here, uh, you, you might see on the news that this person is wanted for something, and every time they get caught, it's somewhere around in Vegas. Vegas. All the time. I don't I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they ran out of gas and couldn't get to Mexico. Or... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people, you know, some people you can just look at and know they're in the life. Like a lot of the people, oh, yeah. they just like had that look to them. And then you talk oh, to them yeah. for a couple minutes and then you, you know, like like some people, even they clean up, they can't get that look off their face. It yeah. doesn't have to be even tattoos or whatever. They just have a look where, you know, they have a look. Yeah, yeah. I bet this person was in, was in the life. And then this, you talk to them. This person was in the life and they want to still be in the life, but they mm -hmm. know that in Vegas, you got to kind of play it cool. <laughs> yeah. You, know, you can't really do what you did in LA in Vegas. Yeah. Like in Vegas, I didn't even notice all the uh, cabs have video cameras in them. So it's like uh, they're on like all the time and stuff. Because uh, we were talking to the dude about something. And I guess I asked a question that was a little like uh, too personal. He's like, uh, you know that uh, <laughs> think of there's a camera, right? And it runs all the time. And I was like, shit. So like you're in the like surveillance your whole time. <laughs> you, I don't know what this, but ostensibly they're probably saying they're doing it for, um, safety reasons and stuff. But I thought that was a weird, stressful way to, uh, you yeah, know, be weird. in a cab to just have a, yeah, yeah. So he was kind of hinting like, you know, like I get what you're trying to ask me, you know, about, you know, if I was in any kind of life, but I'm not really going to talk about that because I'm on, I'm on. I'm like self snitching on myself if I I can't even talk freely in my cab about what I used to do my you know yeah I mean you know yeah I found, I found that really bizarre but you yeah can take what you can get when I, you're in those I type of situations you, you take what you can get I mean I I honestly have no desire there's a few places I have no desire to go to and Vegas is one of them yeah I, I've never been to Vegas you know what I mean I went to Vegas once and like I said it, it was two extremes and both of them were bad the tourist trap was bad and then the real Vegas was uh. Not really. I mean, any listeners who are from Vegas would love it. You know, no offense. You know, I'm not saying I saw all of Vegas, but every part that I did see, I was. Uh, that was that was the first place I wanted to rather be in a tourist trap than the yeah. real thing. Yeah, I was fucking depressed, bro. Like like uh, spending time in real Vegas between like there was no population that seemed to be enjoying themselves. Like I saw people meth out. I saw oh, you see looking, it all. Yeah, people were running from warrants. I saw. Yeah. Uh, bump real life bump fights remember those bump fight videos that were like trending oh, yeah. for a while i, like, I just saw real life random bump fights uh they shot a lot of those up here in portland I and mean, we have a huge oh, homeless problem sense. up here and oh. uh they did a lot of those bump fight videos they shot a lot of those up here under the burnside bridge like all kind of different places like portland is uh uh it's like um it's like playing russian roulette you know what i mean you never know what you're gonna get you know i used to have a job where i delivered produce it was the worst one of the worst jobs i ever had i was like 20 years old and I was yeah. a delivery driver and I would deliver produce uh, around town and my hours sucked. I was like working from 11 at night to like seven in the morning. Man, that's one of those jobs that probably made you successful today, man. That's a good job yeah. to have young because it makes you realize really early, yo. Oh, it's a thankless job. So yeah, I'm working it, it, this job and I'm driving around downtown 
and you would just hear stuff. You would hear people screaming, people fighting. You know what I mean? And this was back when clubs were downtown Portland. We don't have clubs in downtown Portland anymore. Um, not hip hop clubs, I should say. So there's, and I knew it wasn't like coming from the club areas. You know what I mean? Like it's just random screams, fights, just all kind of crazy stuff. People will walk up to you and, and you know, start talking to you about random stuff, you know, um, because Portland is one of those places where, you know, I'm sure you've seen a sticker that says, keep Portland weird. Yeah. Yeah. It, they live by it. Portland is a mm. weird place, man. It's a place where at nighttime, eh, you probably don't want to be walking around downtown at night. You just never know what you're going to get. You and know? you know, the way you describe that, I can see how Vegas is the way it is because between people coming from LA, a lot of those people you describe are probably among the people who relocate to Portland because Portland had that motley mix and a good portion of the people I saw there were just like what you describe. And I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if uh, that was the people in Portland um, relocating. But what's it like now that it's, um, you know, gentrified? Because like, the only thing I know about Portland is I show Portlandia and that's a very specific demographic, you know? Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a real niche, a real niche demographic of people that are really like that. I mean, as funny as it sounds, there really are people here like that. Yeah. You, know, you got the guy riding the, the really, really tall bike. No, that's yep. real. You know what I mean? You have the naked bike ride. That's real. You know what I mean? But Portland is a place that is so ruthless that the people that moved here, they're starting to feel the burn. Mm. So there's a lot of uh, younger, between the ages of 25, 35 white people that live in Portland now that can't afford to live here anymore. So now even they're moving to East County and they don't like it. So now you're starting to see uh, rent cap um, initiatives go out. So now they passed a new law where you cannot uh, do no cause evictions. Can't do that anymore. Um, you can't raise someone's rent above. Uh, you can only raise someone's rent once within 90 days. Now, these are initiatives that just passed in the last two, three years. Like that never I'm, back in the day, you can raise someone's rent until they just move out. So 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 now that the white people are there, suddenly all these protections are coming in. Yes, of course. So if you evict someone, no cause eviction and you put them out, you have to, if they file a, uh, you don't have to file a lawsuit. You can just go to the, um, to the courts. That's an organization that deals with this. You have to pay their move-in fee for the new apartment and give them their security deposit back. And I believe, I could be wrong, but I believe you have to pay their first and last month's rent for the new apartment also. If you give them a no-cause eviction. Before they give you no-cause eviction, you just have to find somewhere to go. It's not man. like that anymore. That's, that's something, And it's man. because majority of white people are here and they're feeling the burn. You know, there was a guy, uh, we have this long street here called Hawthorne street and Hawthorne street is mainly where all the hipsters and the quote unquote artists where they hang out, you know, places like that. And, uh, this guy, I, I, he had a home over there, a house and he was, he spray painted on his home. You're not going to make me leave, you know? And he's mm. up on top of that house. And, and I was happened to be over there. I used to go to a record store over there and the cops were there. But they were just standing around, like waiting for him to come down. Like they, no one was forcing him to come down, you know. But he was and it was a black burn, dude. And this is how yeah, it he was a black dude. That would have been a yeah. If that was a black dude. That would have been a situation. Oh, it would have got locked I'm up sure. or shot yeah, down. Yeah. I mean, you never know. Yeah, it's it's a gamble when you're dealing with the police, especially the Portland police. I've seen the police here kill black people, so it's it's a gamble. Well, well, you know what? Let me ask you this, right? Because this is something I'm feeling in Brooklyn, right? And tell me if you're feeling this. Like I feel like. Okay, in Brooklyn, you have a lot of um, the old Brooklyn heads. The, there's like two types of people I feel like black people that could survive still. You either have to be like upper middle class and upwardly mobile or whatever, or, you know, 
maybe you're like a hipster too, but you know how to navigate like white people. So, yeah. so you're a black hipster. So, you know, you might be doing what these white people do where you have um, three or four roommates or whatever. But, you know, even though on the surface, you're kind of living the same life as your um, white friends. And this is something I always like, if I talk to like young black hipsters, I try to like hip them too. I try to tell them like, yo, you need to figure something out because this hipster life you're living with your white friends, their families yeah. from like Minnesota, whatever, are going to leave them a house or a oh, trust yeah. fund. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. You, you know, they're just like cosplaying being broke. Oh, right yeah. Now. That happens. You, that's, yeah, that's Portland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're just cosplaying being broke. But when they get tired of it and tired of the barista life and the uh, writing gigs, whatever doesn't work, their parents are either going to leave them a house or die or give them like a lump sum of money from the house and they're going to buy a brownstone or a house. Yeah. And you're still going to be um, twiddling your thumbs going from, you know, hand to mouth. Like, like you can't just live this you know bohemian cosplay life that they're doing because you don't have depth of um resources well, you don't have anything to fall back on yeah you have nothing to you have nothing to fall back on you can't yeah, you have really no wealth like your parents come from where i come from yeah what exactly ha what's happening is you just don't want to be associated quote unquote those people yep. you know see it's an interesting thing uh i have a friend uh well he used to be a friend of mine i don't really talk to him anymore uh he's a he's in a greek frat whatever and i told him i said dude you know I'm America's nightmare, man. He, I said, he said, what does that mean? I said, dude, I've been in the worst places and now I'm in this institution of education. I have a master's degree and seeing the things that I see, it's really weird. And I, I can navigate easier than you can. You know what I mean? And yeah. he didn't understand. I said, well, think of it like this. When you interact with people, you take them for what they are. You don't think about well, where's this person. First of all, what does this person want from me Two, where do they come from? You know what I mean? I have the ability to be able to decipher that because I see people that move in the North and Northeast Portland. I know they, they're not broke. I've seen uh, people move to North and Northeast Portland, white people, and they move here and immediately buy a house, you know, or they'll move into an apartment complex that I know the rent's high, but they're in front of you like they're struggling to get by. You know what I mean? They're barely making it. They're working for Amazon in a warehouse or they're working yep. at a, at Starbucks or, you know, we have a lot of local coffee shops here in Portland. So they're working at Dutch Bros or some other local coffee shop. And they're doing it because I actually have heard a white person tell me they came here for the scene. Yeah. And yeah. I must say, what scene? Exactly. They want they want a scene. Um, yeah. They have this thing um, because I've seen these hipsters for a while. Right. And. What we're on now is like wave two, wave three hipsters. Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Our ground one, the first wave of hipsters, they came in for the scene at the time that they had different scenes. Like one was called like Electro Clash, and yeah. they're trying to like relive this kind of '80s electro scene. And everyone was dressed out of a new wave video. This is when Williamsburg was first popping off, like in early 2000, 2001. Yeah. And people would just come here and just put on their best um outfit, you know, and just dress like weirdos and they're doing these scenes and they're all doing this barista stuff and they just wanted to just turn um Williamsburg into like this extension of a college dorm like you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. you'd be walking yeah. around during the day and, and it'll be like kind of seeing your friends on campus and stuff and a lot of them grew up reading about like the punks in the lower east side or reading yeah. about the hippies and hate ashbury and they're like we kind of want that for ourselves but all they wanted was the aesthetics, but they didn't really have any uh, ethos behind it. Like, you know, the hippies, they kind of started off wanting to kind of uh, rebel and create this like free love and this right. uh, progressive society. And then 
eventually it turned into just a scene and then the punks kind of wanted to um rebel against the early boomers and stuff and then it became just an empty scene but these guys from the beginning they just launched it as an empty scene there was not even a fake or initial like loftier reason you know and then what was interesting is these people would love to slum they would just be hanging out and they would tell you things like yeah bro i love you know my building i like that it's kind of sketchy you know and it's like hey all the dope boys in the front of the corner they all know me i know them by name you know yeah. and you know they're like uh i look at this as they say things they, they, they think you want to hear like you know i look at them as like you know the neighborhood watch like you know a lot of the cops and other people like bug him and stuff but it's like to me they're fine my friends come to visit me they get all scared like aren't you scared i'm like nah bro it's cool but then like you know 10 years of being a barista or doing these kind of cool service jobs and trying to do your band or your art on the side that shit doesn't yeah. take off that shit gets tired so then all these people suddenly out of the blue having a kid and announcing yep. suddenly they're buying a brownstone absolutely yeah and you're like wait what the fuck how'd you do that off a barista thing and suddenly now that they have kids all they don't that, want that lifestyle no more. yeah and, and not just that the people that they were they were fine they don't want them around like, like yeah absolutely. i don't want my kids i don't want my kids going to school with um the nigger kids like like yeah, yeah, all yeah, that yeah. stuff yeah. all that sketchiness that they thought gave character and grit once they have kids and they have their property values they brought their oh, brownstone the over yeah, party's over. Those dope boys, they're calling the cops on them. They're calling the cops on them now, exactly. Before they were rolling a joint and smoking with Tyrone and DeAndre. Now, all of a sudden, they're a nuisance. You know, we can, you know I'm trying to take my kid to school, and, and you guys are in the way. And they're yeah, looking at like, yeah. what do you mean? Exactly. And, you know, those dope boys, that's funny about those dope boys. It's like, if people like me and you were around there, they might give us a little side eye or whatever, right. you know, because they don't know who we are, whatever, like, you know black people that you see coming home from like a square job you right. know they might whatever but with these like slumming hipsters i would see a lot of them like enjoy the novelty of them and thinking like you know like you said they'll be like smoking a joint with like the, um the white guy like oh you know corky's got the best drugs you know right 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 or, right, right. i think it's all, all like cute you know like um it's like I the video that. you remember that video that was going around of the white guy pledging omega sci-fi i didn't see and that one Oh, yeah, there's a video on YouTube. Uh, there's a white dude, and it's at an HBCU, and he's pledging Omega Sci-Fi, and I guess it's his coming out day, and everybody is around him just, I mean, you would think that he created the fraternity. Oh, yeah, yeah. S somebody, I should put that in the show notes, somebody put a video compilation, and they did it, what's interesting about it, and this one made it really fascinating, they did, did an around-the-world compilation, I gotta find it and send it to you, too, of white people showing up to slum, and black mm -hmm. people exciting, excited, yeah. like, you know, I'm like, this must have been what it must have been like when Columbus and the early explorers, like, landed places. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh, wow, this is cute. Look at this novelty. And then next we thing you know. We show with food and they have guns. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But, but yeah, I'm like, shit has not changed. Like, this video shows, like, some white lady showing up to Jamaica and she's doing, like, dance hall dancing. Yeah. Next thing you know, she's the dominant dance hall Oh my god! Uh, school in uh whatever they showed this white guy who went to um Africa and he could speak the patois and everywhere yeah. he went I'm like yo these people are killing people who live forty miles away from them because they're from a different tribe and both yeah. of them have been there for like a thousand five hundred years but this white guy comes over he can speak the patois and everybody's hugging him 
Like, you yeah. know, they're just so happy that he's willing to slum with them, you know? And uh, I, started with, I started with the gentrification, too. Like, uh, like black people see black people, they don't know there's, like, a instinctive distrust unless, you know, you prove yourself. But when that wave, first wave of hipsters came and gentrification first started, a lot of um, them were just welcomed with open arms. And now those are the people calling the cops yeah. in a heartbeat. Yeah, yeah, it happens here. You know what I mean? Um, I, re- I heard a story about Spike Lee. And he said that, uh, you know, in Bed-Stuy, the gentrifiers are calling the cops on a guy that plays the drums. He's been playing the drums out there for 40 years. Yeah, yeah. And, and, he, said, and he said they call the cops on his uh, dad, too, because that's a jazz musician. So, yeah. you know, his dad still practices. Yeah. Um, it's not quite Bed-Stuy. It's Fort Greene. But okay. it's such a small neighborhood. It's, like, literally, like, a 15-minute walk, 20-minute walk from Bed-Stuy. It's, still, it's like Bed-Stuy, Clayton Hill, where I live, and then uh, Fort Greene. But they're all basically um close to each other but bed forget about it bed looks like uh some parts like a dorm now it's amazing you see wow. kids doing pub crawls now wow yeah best used to be like just the name would scare people off now this i know got weird clinton hill was like the last good neighborhood before you hit bed and a lot of times people especially gentrifiers who lived in bed couldn't afford clinton hill like the borders class and avenue people would lie and say yeah i live you know no, i live in clinton hill and then another gentrifier would be like uh what street do you live on they'd be like you know bedford and they're like that's not clinton hill that's bed right. ho, 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 ho. you know and like 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 clown each other now like people lie and say they live in bed that's not cool wow uh, best eyes come like uh and i seen like white people say like to each other oh man i'm so jealous you live in a cool neighborhood you live in bed i was like wow that's then where do where do the black people live well yeah yeah that's the thing i didn't finish saying yeah i i forgot i'm glad you put me back on track um yeah so what i was saying is like there's like three types there's the upwardly mobile um you know middle class black people who can upper middle class black people who can uh you know still kind of afford you know because they're like lawyers uh engineers professionals or you know, have like a good city job, you know, so it's like, uh, that would be like me. There's, uh, people who kind of live that same foreigner apartment, hipster, bohemian lifestyle. Those, those, those people we were just talking about alongside their white friends, they can still make it because they're doing like three or four roommates. They're like being baristas. They have their freelance writing jobs, but those people, I think are going to go because mm. they're going to hit that point where, you know, they can't keep it going anymore. And, at that point, all the white friends are going to cash out off their parents and, you know, right. do that same hustle. And they're not going to be able to do it and they're going to leave, you know. So I think um, those people won't last. If if they can, like, you know, get lucky and marry somebody in that, if they can marry one of the white people that are around so that when that white person cashes in, you know, they're with them, maybe they'll stick around like that, you know. Or, but I don't know. But then the last part, and, and I think this is what you're getting at, uh, a lot of Section 8 people are able to stick around. Mm, okay. So, like, on my block, because I've lived on this block since pre-gentrification. I've lived in this neighborhood and around it since pre-gentrification, since, like, the 90s. There's some uh, people on this block. When I was a student and stuff, and I used to live on this block, and there was pre-gentrification, and there was, like, nothing. And it was all, like, dope boys in the corner. They would all be in front of the building and stuff. Like, it was, like, built a block full of dope boys. Some of them are old now and have kids and stuff. And, you know, like, nobody's really a dope, dope boy anymore. Like, like that was no, the last no. era where you, where you could still do it and actually make, like, a lot of, mon- a lot of money. Yeah, if you're still living that lifestyle, you're an idiot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, like now, if you live that lifestyle, you live with your parents. And, right. um, you know, that's just, like, treats and, munch- and munchy money. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah, yeah. It's, like, money for, like, getting getting a bag of weed uh, for the weekend and stuff. It's not like... but. 
this was like the last era where you could still like you know be a dope boy and actually like uh kind of show out and floss right a lot of those people or their parents or whatever like still live on this block in one of like four buildings there's like mm. there's like a handful of still section eight buildings on this block those are like the last of the old black people from the 90s who still live on this um, block and wow. yeah and if those buildings i don't know what kind of legal uh, rules you need to kind of bust a building out of section eight um i'm not fully sure but you know if those buildings go like if you know are not section eight anymore um then they'll just move them they'll they'll just uh say that, to hey, this building 8, right? is going to be torn down you have 30 yeah. days to find another place your section eight will transfer and then boom they're they're out yeah like uh there's this guy that i knew from the 90s he was one of those um dope boys back then now he's like a dad he's got gray in his beard and stuff and i still see him and yeah. we say what's up to each other right and i was uh surprised he remembered me from back then but uh we see each other so every time i'd see him like you know give him a pound give him a hug and then we talked then i went a couple of months without seeing him then i saw him again i was like yo where you been he's like oh yeah i don't live here anymore some of my people still live here so i visit now and again but I moved out to Queens, Far Rockaway, which is one of those neighbors that's probably never going to gentrify because it's right way inconvenient and it's um and I think it's still kind of hood. He's like, but he's like, it's like or, or like blue collar is more like it. He's like, yeah, I moved out there. I got a job in the parks department. I'm like, oh, good for you. I'm glad you got like a, a city job with benefits. That's all good. He's like, yeah, so I live out there now, and that's a story I hear a lot. Like a lot of people, they get pushed out somewhere either through a new Section Eight thing or they kind of find some kind of square job that they can just stay in and make ends meet yeah make ends meet and get it get out but yeah that, that so those are the three things either you're like upbringing mobile black you're one of these black bohemians who's just um cosplaying with your white friends and you know um doing whatever and being a one of those blurred one of those blurred weirdos or whatever yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. or you're like um kind of section eight and dusty and you're only here as long as that section eight building is sticking around absolutely well i think what has happened is it's given black people a lot of mobility because black people you know you see black people from portland in brooklyn and then they're only there they, if they do stay they know they're going to be in trouble so then they'll hop from there to atlanta you know what i mean oh That's oh yeah so when you end up in brooklyn like what are they here for like which which group of black people is it like the septum ring yeah, yeah, yeah natural yeah. hair type of oh yeah, yeah so Oh, so you're saying like, like, like they come here because they want to check out the Brooklyn scene? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's exactly why they why they're going out there. And I know a girl that um she went out there for a job with the with the uh, YMCA. And I was like, I don't know if the YMCA plays a lot of money, but she thought of of uh, thought it of it of it as an opportunity to leave Portland. And she's you know the septum piercing, you know, natural yeah. hair type type of deal, Afro punk as I call them, the Afro punk people. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah, yeah. Those I said bohemian, but that's what exa exactly Afro punk. And you know, Afro punk the festival is here in Brooklyn. You see, yeah. My whole neighbor just becomes overrun with them because then the Afro punkers <laughs> from all over the world. Now they have like British Afro punkers. Like I'll see like London London septum rings walking around the neighborhood because uh, yeah. Afro punk's like a short walk from here. Yeah, yeah. So they they go out there from Portland and they're out there, you know, four or five years and then they'll maybe go to Atlanta and then they, and they'll go back to Brooklyn. You know, they never they never really come back to Portland. Interesting. You know, sometimes they do, but not to stay. You know, they have that little bit of mobility where they they, they leave and don't come back. So, you know, I guess that goes into the um, the research I was doing as far as trying to figure out where black people are going, you know. 
And a lot of our black hipsters that live here in Portland, the, the septum Af- Afropunk people, they're here, but they kind of dibble and dabble in between here, New York, Atlanta, you know, or they know somebody that's coming from Atlanta and they're, they're living out here now, you know, um, of the people that I interview for these jobs, man, none of them are ever from Portland. Mm. They're never from Portland. I interviewed three people for jobs yesterday and they were for office uh, management positions. None of them were from Portland. One guy was from Atlanta. Another guy was from California. Another girl, she was from uh, New Orleans. She went to college in New Orleans. And another woman, she was from Portland. And she was, but she was an older, older black lady, about fifty-four. Mm. But those other people, they were all young. You so, know, so, so, so the fifty-four year, so the fifty-four year old Portland person is probably old school Portland, like not absolutely. So, 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 no way has any type of these um, Afro punkish type of no bones in her body. No, they've been around long time. They've been around since the gangs were here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I, I meet these um, new Portland people in Brooklyn all the time, and it's like it's like watching a real life Twitter conversation, like out absolutely loud. It's so fucking weird to see people yes. say it out loud. That's, That's Portland. Why, that yeah, they, they're a walking Twitter timeline. Yeah, and and it's kind of weird because one of the things I used to always say is that's not real life, that's Twitter. But I'm like, yo, in enough time, Twitter's gonna become real life. And it is. It is real life now. Yeah, we've I've seen people take conversations and they're living it in real life, and it's almost like, why would you want to live that fake reality because it's not real? I mean, it's not tangible. So eventually, yeah. you're gonna have to do something tangible. Yeah, yeah, it, 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 exactly. It's not self sustaining. Like, like you can't see. This is what I think the problem is: is that these white people, they can, there's something that I call the hipster economy. And what that is, is like, we black people, we like talking about uh, black economics or whatever by black, but we don't really, we can't really do it because we don't really have the resources. And there's only like so many, like a lot of black people, they want to open a business and it's like, okay, how many hip hop clothing stores or barbershops can, you know. Cell phone places, pagers, well not pagers, but cell phones. Yeah, yeah. It's like we don't really have the diversity of um businesses that whatever, but not just that, like too many black people need real things, you know? So yeah. they can't just buy frivolous things. Hipsters make their own monopoly money economy. Like like you could be someplace for like five, six years as a hipster and then a storefront opens up for rent and yes, your family for money. Cause that's the other thing. When I've I like to ask people, I'm very like a lot of these people we talk about, these, um, uh, you know, like that Greek guy that you talked about who, who you said just hangs out with people, but he doesn't know anything beyond the optics. He just wants to like yeah. hang out, whatever. Like when I talk to like these hipsters and I shake hands with them and I chat with them, I won't ask them like, hey, how do you tell me about your hundred mayos in this mayo store? Because that's a store that they have. It's a store just nothing but mayo, right? Wow. Uh, like, like uh, artisanal mayo. I'll be like, Oh, it's interesting. Like, I'm thinking about uh, opening up something. How did you, um, you know, raise this money? And a lot of times, they'll act kind of cagey. So I don't ask that, like, right away. Like, I'll, you know, talk for a while, visit a couple of times, you know. But I always want to know. And the stories always be like, yeah, you know, I told my parents, hey, instead of leaving me the house, what if you just, you know, give me what my inheritance would be, give it to me now. Or, yeah. or do whatever. And then they'll open up... Um, they'll open up like romper room wacky places you know mm-hmm. like like i saw one that was like a baby dj school a teacher kid a b- dj yeah. and it's like these people will go and spend money on their on each other's stupid businesses it's yeah, like they do it um, all the time out here they're all just taking turns in each other's stupid businesses i, I saw a bar for dogs 
Oh, yeah, they have a bar for dogs out here. They have a hotel for dogs. If you're a black stuff. person and you open up a bar for dogs, as soon as that hipster goes in and sees, like, you know, Tyrone and, you know, who, whoever, be DeAndre it. working behind it, they'll be like, yeah, I'm taking my dog out of here, you know? The only thing that black people, white people here in Portland will fraternize as owned by black people are restaurants. Yeah, yeah, because they want their authenticity. Yeah, that's it. But even, but even then, uh, sometimes they'll take it from a white person because mm-hmm. this is a West Indian restaurant. In the Crown Heights. It's owned by white people, by some hipsters, right? And I went there once because it showed up on Yelp. I should never look for ethnic food on Yelp, but... Oh, never. Don't do that. Yeah, yeah. But what happened is all the old Crown Heights um, West Indian restaurants I used to know when I was a kid, they're like closed. So I said, I don't know what to replace it with, you know? So I pulled up the first thing I saw on Yelp. I went in there and it was all like this laminated wood and all this kind of hipster trappings. And I'm like, oh, this is interesting. So they had jerk chicken. And this was interesting. What made me choose it? There's a certain type of wood from Jamaica that's expensive to import. It's not easy mm. to import. They use that for jerk chicken. And this oh, place wow. was like one of the only places in Brooklyn that has the jerk chicken. So I went in there. I'm like, this place looks really like white. Everyone in here looks like, you know, has a like Portlandia look. And everyone's working here. Even the black people have like septum rings and whatever. But fuck it. Like they have this real, even the Jamaican restaurants, I think Jamaican restaurants, the Jamaican people will just, use different woods and try to simulate that um that wood so i'm like fuck it i'll i'll try it the food was fucking terrible like they dried out all the jerk chicken it was like terrible but this thing the money was popping in the place like it was the, the business they were doing and when i left the few real uh jamaican places that i saw were like you know comparatively empty and i was like wow that's that's real and i feel like guilty that i spent my money in this place but i said i gotta resource because i gotta figure out why this shit is making so much money because it's so mediocre. This is the first time I started thinking about the hipster economy. I'm like, mm-hmm. these people just frequent each other's subpar businesses. They do. Or whatever. Even, just, if, even just... if, you know, here in Portland, we have a lot of areas where the hipsters are having, they have these, uh, you know, whether it be some type of uh, fabric store or something like that. It's a revolving door. You know, the, the, the business will be there two, three years, and then it'll turn it into something else. But it's the same people. Yeah, this is a it's new the hustle. same people frequent in these places. Yeah, yeah. And like, I'll give you another example. Like, coffee places, you would think you could hit a saturation point where it's like, okay, you can't open up another coffee shop in a five-block radius and have it still make money. This has to be the tipping point. But no, somehow, like, yeah, the fifth co- coffee shop will open, and it'll find people to fill it. The first yes. four will still be as full as they were before, but this fifth one somehow... It just generated more hipsters to fill it. Like you, it's you the know, same thing it, with hipster bars. It does endless you know, these, these dive bars. You know, hipsters yeah. love dive bars. So they go inside these dive bars, and you'll go down. There's a street in Portland called uh, Mississippi. This long street, and there's literally probably six or seven bars on this one street, and they're they're open for business. There's always people in them. Yep. I'm like, wait a minute, don't they sell the same beer at this bar over here that they got there? Yeah, yeah. Like, why not just sit in one bar? You know, it's not yeah. like different types of bars, so that you know, like that you attract a different crowd. They all have the same crowd, but yeah, they'll all be yeah. So, so like, um, yeah. So these like Afropunk types. I'm like, you gotta be careful because you're not gonna. I, you know, what's really interesting too. Listen to this. They have there's a couple of these uh coffee shops or like restaurants. I'll go to them, but I'll go to them because I know there's a black person that owns it. Yeah. What's interesting is the black person makes it unable to tell that a black oh, person oh yeah yeah, yeah 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 that's huge that's 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 exactly what we do out here yeah that's absolutely what they do out here so what they'll do so out here there's a couple of spots um like a spot called dead stock coffee 
and it's a coffee shop that's based on not, you know, this is the home of Nike out here. So yeah. it's based on Nike. So you go inside, they got shoes everywhere, you know, all kinds of novelties that has something to do with Nike. Oh yeah. You know? And hipsters love that shit. And they love that shit. You know what I mean? But you don't see any black people in there, but one of the owners is a black guy. Yep. Yep. They have that here where all or one of the owners will be black, but they'll like have the people working there. Just have that stereotypical look like tatted up girl with the Betty page bangs yep. and whatever, you know, like, um, there was, there was this, um, black couple that owned the, the ice cream place, you know, and it was really good ice cream, but they were like a black couple. And when you go in there, like, you know, they had like a cute white hipster girl with tat with tats and, and, you know, a white guy and whatever. And yeah, you know, you would not really know they, they owned it, you know? And oh, the same yeah. thing with this, uh, there's a cafe. Yeah. There's a cafe called sit and wonder. There's like two of them. You have no way of knowing a black guy owns it because he makes it look just like so they kind of tap into the hipster economy by uh disguising it like like a like a white place well i mean shit if you're gonna you might as well capitalize off of gentrification yeah 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 exactly but you know if, you know if, instead of instead of just saying okay i can't make any money here no nah, if you have a if you have a product you can sell it you know especially yeah. if you tap into the hipster economy because they love so i hate to talk about these people like this but <laughs> they love soul food they yeah, love they things that we do that are normal. So if you find a spot that makes a burger, that's an everything burger. It's got the hot links on it. It's got a fried egg on it. It's got a piece of ham on it. They're going to be there. Yeah. But this is what I think they do. Cause this is what crown Heights was like when they first started moving there. When I first started hipsters, they were all going to the real Jamaican spots and they were like, yeah. um, they were like, Oh man, this is the best stuff I ever had. They got to have the but, authentic stuff. Yeah. The authentic stuff. When they studied it enough, then one of them opened up their own, which is the place I was telling you about. And then oh, they wow. brought in the real wood. And now a lot of those places are a lot more emptier. But what's interesting was that new place is like very mediocre. It's like, it's not that great. You know what I'm saying? But it's like, I feel like even when they start with the authentic stuff, they will eventually be studying it so that one of their own mm-hmm. can kind of, they're both, they're doing two things. They're developing a taste for it. But they're also like studying it, and then one of them eventually definitely they're definitely studying it. They're studying it. Then eventually, one is going to open their own, and then that one is the one. Like the black one is authentic; it's never going to be elevated to, um, you know, a Food Network show. But that person who you know studies it and opens it up. So this is the final thing I'm going to say about that place um, that I went to in Crown Heights, that white-owned place. When I saw how mediocre the food was, but how um, you know bad it was. You know, it's interesting when I went there, I saw three or four hipsters working there uh two or three white girls and one black girl and i saw them all from different hipster businesses and i said wait didn't you used to work in this coffee shop there and she was like yeah i used to work there and like and i said oh because didn't you work at that place and and it's like they kind of all hire the same people they're like making a tour of different places you know the same hipsters are working in all these different so it's almost like they're never hiring from the communities when they when they open up these places they just keep hiring so this hipster place in crown heights had employees that I saw previously at hipster places by me in Clinton Hill or Bed-Stuy. Like, you know, they kind of rotate, you know, these people. But it's not like they're getting, like, regular people from the hood to work in these places a lot of time. But this is what's interesting. When I saw how mediocre it was, I'm like, I got to research this place because I just can't understand it. The place, two white guys or something, had a sandwich shop. Mm. The sandwich shop was, like, doing okay. It had the same name. It was in Crown Heights, which is like, you know, the um, the West Indian part of uh, one of the West Indian parts of Brooklyn, whatever. 
And the sandwich shop was doing okay, and it was doing fine. You know, with the hipster economy, it was never doing bad. Like They opened up, and all the white people were looking for a white place to frequent, you know, went there. The one owners, or both of the owners, went to Jamaica, went to Jamaica, and had jerk chicken for the first time in Jamaica, and was like, wow, holy shit, this is amazing. And this could be eating jerk chicken for the vacation. Mm-hmm. Then they came back, closed the shop, renovated it, and reopened it as a jerk chicken spot. Like, wow. no, no type of connection to the culture. Not even like years of research, just one vacation just felt like qualified, which like blew my mind. Cause I'm like, I can't imagine like going to Greece and having like some Greek food and be like, well, you know what? I'm qualified to open a Greek restaurant in. Yeah. Uh, and even, even if I did, I would get vetted so hard. They just see a black face and like, I better have shown that I studied in Greece like eight years at, you know, one of the top food conservatories or whatever. Like a white guy can just go someplace. Because our food, you know, is not considered, like, very elevated intellectual food. Like, like this figure, he went there and he felt the spirit, you know, or some kind of bullshit like that. Or he felt the love or he felt whatever. And then, you know, just from that and being a little bit woke or, you know, tapped in, that qualifies him to create. And, and that's good enough. And, and it's popping. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, out here they'll do that. And also they'll take something and I call it bastardizing. So they'll bastardize yeah. something like tacos. You know, tacos are huge out here on the West Coast, you know, so they'll take yeah. tacos and they'll start doing, uh, you know, Fusion some type, type of I mean, you name it. They'll create a taco out of it. You know, they'll do they'll do that also. And you'll you'll be going by these places. and You'll be looking like I, I would never eat that. But the line is around the corner. Oh, yeah. You know, the line's around the corner. You know what I mean? And it's a it's a uh, some type of Thai chicken, you know, sushi taco, you know, and it's like, yeah. really? And it's expensive. It's like a five dollar taco. You know, a normal regular Mexican spot that has authentic tacos, tacos are a dollar fifty. But but their lines are around the corner. You know, the, the white guy selling the, the goofball taco, his lines are on the corner. <laughs> you know, it's really crazy to me. You know what you I mean? You know what's funny? If you call if they actually called it goofball taco, it'd probably still take off. It'd be, it would be a, it would line around the corner. Yeah, yeah. They could literally call it, you know, goofball taco, you know, and people would I still thought, like, I have a friend of mine that owns a restaurant here. And when he told me the name of it, I was like, I don't know if that's gonna work. And it's, it works. Like, he has the most packed... When it comes to a burger spot, there's nothing better. It's called Stupid Burger. He opened the spot as a cart. And he, I think it was a cart for about two years. And when I first seen it, I was like, I don't know, you know, because the name Stupid Burger. I'm like, I don't know if that's going to work. Dude, this dude, this brother's spot is popping. Like, if I... It, they they oh, close wow. at 9 o'clock every day. If I went there at 8.30, there's people in there eating. You know, on the weekends, it's going to take you 30 minutes to get an order. You know what I mean? It's packed and... It's, you know, black people from old north and northeast Portland will come and frequent because everybody knows him. They know his family. But white people are in there. Yeah. You know, so you're right. If they called a goofball taco, it would work. You know what I mean? Because stupid yeah, burger yeah. works. I mean, the food's got to be good. Now, his <laughs> burger and the thing about it is, and this is no shade to him, real good people. The food is off, off the hook. The burger is not a burger I've never had. Like everybody had a spot back in the day where they made a burger and yeah. had a fried egg on it and hot links and. So it's not a burger that yeah. we've never had, but it's a burger that they Yeah, never... it's not a groundbreaking no, no, burger. No, no, no. It's a solid no. burger, but it's but it's not groundbreaking. No, but it's a burger they've never had. Uh, yeah. You know. So, I frequent a spot, you know, yeah. that's my cheat meal on the weekend, so. Yeah, there's a um Jamaican spot that's, that's in uh Flatbush. But I'll give these people credit. It's um it's good, but it's not like mind-blowing Jamaican food as in if you're used to eating Jamaican food, you've had as good or better. But what's interesting with them is they've clearly, it's Jamaican-owned, whatever. They've clearly realized, because one thing about 
a lot of West Indian restaurants, where there's like my people, Haitian people, mm-hmm. or Jamaican people, we are not good at customer service <laughs> at all. Everything is like we have like a menu. There's like ten items on it. Right. Eighty percent of the They're items not even there. I never there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you go and, and then they won't even help you. Won't they'll be like, uh, you know, hey, you got this? We not have it. Right. You know, everything right. is we not have right. it until you get to the thing they have. Like, like they won't just tell you what they have. They won't tell you the two things they have. Right. They will just keep telling you no to each thing you ask and then looking at you like you're stupid until you get to the thing that they have, right? These people, they saw the wave that was coming and they created like, cause like when you go to Jamaica and you're on a resort where white people go, that customer service is not there. Jamaican people will give, you know, cause I went to Jamaica and I've, I've visited one of those like white resorts for a day and the customer service was very different. Everything was fully stocked. It was one. Of, it was uh one of those all inclusive or uh, whatever resorts. Like they kind of run it like that, where it's like it's very fancy looking. Everything is staffed. Uh, everything is stocked. Everything is served in like um uh, hipster wear. The whole oh, thing wow. is like covered in wood and whatever. And it's like nothing mind blowing, but to them it's mind blowing. But also it's designed to make them like feel uh comfortable and cool. Right. Like, it has this kind of. It's not like the type of Jamaican place you go to and it's like there's like a screen door or whatever in place of a real door oh, yeah. or you know whatever they, they uh they know like um the audience and it does it does really good but they don't make it cheap they charge like hipster prices yeah. like 14 15 dollar entrees yeah. like the real like um Jamaican spots will not charge that like a lot of like the local black people are not going to pay that for yeah, yeah, yeah. They, and they you know, know that the food but they'll have like you know free range chicken yeah. and they'll charge like these prices and they'll have vegan options and yeah yeah they 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 eat they eat it up like that's a perfect example of, like the authenticity work working but you know what i'd like to talk about uh before you go we always talk about um how with this type of new intersectionality or this new afropunk politics that weirder and weirder politics are infiltrating like young black people and you've told me how you've started seeing it like uh you've had like people come for jobs and they'll like come to you and like um talking about education related jobs but they have no idea what black people on the ground are going through like that they'll come through the door talking like intersectionality talking oh yeah yeah they do it all the time you know um in, in even in the job I have now, because I have a lot of uh, connections of vocational training. So, you know, they'll go into vocational training and they're asking questions or people that want to get help going into college. And I'll talk to them. And, and it's almost as if I'd be wondering, I'm like, you've never been to college, but you sound like people that are coming out of college. Like, it's, it's really. A- and that fa- and that and that fascinates me. So these people, they're not even getting it from the classrooms like the original intersectional people were like now you have like just regular people out of college yeah they've never been there so and what it is is that this is what social media has done so whether it's facebook twitter instagram what social media has done it has given people a platform to put things out there that you know it's like watching tv is not necessarily true you know what i mean yeah but if you're a person that if that's what you want to hear then you're going to accept it as gospel. You know what I mean? You're going to say, okay, that, that's real because in my life, this is what's going on. So they're hearing all these intersectional thoughts that people claim, you know, they claim they're getting it from a classroom. So they're hearing these things and they're seeing these things based on the YouTube videos they watch or Twitter, someone on Twitter. It could be someone that, you know, 
I know they're full of shit, but the untrained mind that doesn't understand history or politics will believe that it's true. So like you were talking about the thread that we saw earlier, I, I was telling you earlier, I don't know. I have a hard time believing that someone is actually teaching that. And the reason why I say that is because seeing seeing a lot of these people talk the way they talk, I really don't know if they're making it up. You know what I mean? Like if, if someone is teaching that at a university, that's scary. So I have to always lean on that. These people always say crazy stuff. So they have to be making it up. There's no way that someone is paying an adjunct professor who is working at four different colleges at the same time, barely making any money is not going to take that risk. But I've been wrong before. But 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 maybe maybe it's a tenured professor. You never it could know. Be. That's even scarier. Yeah, that makes it even but, worse. Because you know what? Because because you know what's weird. I'll tell you this is something I've discovered from getting into online arguments with these people. Like, listen to this, listen to this argument that I had, and this argument was so crazy. But then I was like, please provide me with some data mm -hmm. for this outrageous claim you're making. And the person produced like an actual study by a professor, wow. and I was like, wow, that's interesting. So I looked, right. Actually, let me give you the, the full background, right? So I always have this question. I always ask people on Twitter when they're saying uh, ridiculous things about black patriarchy or black male privilege. I'm like, please, just give some examples. Not like individual stuff. like Because they'll say dumb things like, well, black men can fuck a lot of women and their reputation goes up. But if a black woman fucks a lot of men, she gets labeled a home. Like, okay, that's not like patriarchy. No. That's not like getting people jobs it's not like no. a systemic like you know this, the the government's not like giving out like, it's like know, a, what is it a dirt bag competition to... like i'm trying to figure that is like <laughs> a competition to be who, yeah. the, who can be the best dirt bag yeah yeah exactly like like that's not actual like patriarchy that's not actually like, like no one's using that to rule anything no. or line their pockets like that, that's like nothing but so one person you know said okay here is here is an example this is this is a dude he was a he was a college he was a college guy i think he might even been a phd student he was like yeah um here's one black men um wait black women get killed by cops too but black men get all the press and what? i was like well yeah if you look at the data there's competing data but i've seen like four or five like articles and studies and it goes from on the low range like 80 percent of um death by cop is um black male versus like you know 20 percent women that's like low estimates and some of them go as high as 95 percent are black male like it's something ridiculous so i'm yeah. like what you're saying is ridiculous for equal coverage to be given to black women as black men when it's um 80 percent worse than 95 percent at best um black male like that makes no it's sense a frivolous like, argument that would be like me saying because um men are getting raped raped occasionally right. in real life or more often in jail like you know you can use jail as an example men get raped a lot more in jail right? right but saying because of that it should be equal consideration or equal publicity about men i'm like i'm sure even in the worst case scenario of uh jail it's way more women getting raped. It's, it's, the, so it's the old adage it makes it makes sense it's the old adage yeah. of the guy with a paper cut running into the cancer ward saying what about me yeah yeah exactly exactly and it's like you primarily talking about women getting raped doesn't mean that you're shitting on the men who right. get raped unless you explicitly say unless you explicitly say fuck the men getting right. raped and, and and the same thing with the women getting killed by cops if someone actually said 
you know, hey, fuck that five percent. I don't care about them. You know, that's yeah, wrong. Yeah, yeah, Everyone, yeah. whether man or woman, you know. But but I'm like, um, but they're like, no, that's uh, privilege. That's privilege. I'm like, so I I asked. Her, I said, do you think men and women, black men and black women, are getting killed by cops equally? And you know, same with uh, jail homicide. And the guy said unequivocally, what? Yes. And I was like, really? Provide the data. And I was like. Just give me some data on this. Yeah, provide the data. And then he sent me uh, some kind of article. And I could tell the guy was just Googling, right? He sent, he sent me an article. And the, the article clearly didn't say that. I was like, that's not what this article says. And he sent me something else. And it was a actual, like, uh, study. And it said women are, um, black women are more likely to get killed while unarmed than black men. And he's like, this shows that... Uh, black women get killed more by cops. And this was an academic peer review study. And what's crazy was NPR and a bunch of mainstream outlets picked up this study and interviewed, you know, the guy and legitimized it. Mm. I looked at the people who wrote about it or talked about it at NPR and they all had that kind of uh, Portland slash Brooklyn oh, yeah. naturalista black girl looks. So I'm like, okay, these women work here. They're like intersectional themselves. They have an, they they, have an agenda. Yeah. So I said, you know what? I'm going to get back to you in 15 minutes. I'm going to read this article because I just cannot believe this came from right. a real, tenured, respected, like, older black man professor. So I read it, and from the beginning, he starts giving uh, history intersectionality. I'm like, okay, this does not look You see good. where this is going to go. So then he says, right, like on the page one, yeah, uh, there's an over... Was that? No, I said... This, you know where it's going? Yeah, yeah, you can tell where okay, it's going. It's going to be good. Yeah. I want to see if you know where this is going, because it even surprised me. He said, there's an overwhelming amount of black men who get killed by the cops. So I'm like, okay, he actually, he actually admits there's an overwhelming majority of black men that get killed. So I'm still reading. I'm like, where is he getting this um thing about more unarmed black women, you know, being killed at a higher rate? So I'm still reading, and the whole thing he just keeps saying... Um, yeah, so mostly black men get killed. The stats say this and that, whatever. And then I'm like, okay, so I'm with you so far, you know, because he can't lie. Then he gives a whole history of intersectionality mm -hmm. and how black women have been erased. And he gives all these things about how the you know, civil rights movement, they were not given leadership positions. And Kimberly Crenshaw says this. So he filibusters for like about five more pages. Then he goes back to the point, you know, so I'm like, okay, when you're spitting this much, irrelevant like bullshit you're trying to cover up yeah, something. you're trying to like bury uh the switcheroo so then he goes back he goes so anyway the data says something like 93 percent of you know police killings are black men i'm like, okay so he says it again uh the amount of black women killed is so statistically small that we had to find a way to use these regressions and he put all this statistical talk for another couple of pages to amplify uh, the amount of black women so that they can kind of um I forget what the word is. What's the word mean try to uh extrapolate out? Um there's a statistical term for it. You know, use a small population, try to use it to extrapolate mm -hmm. out for the larger mm -hmm. population. Mm -hmm. So then this is what he ended up saying. So he said, Okay, if you extrapolate out that amount of black women that's so small that you know it's hard to even analyze it, within that seven percent of black women who are killed, there's a higher proportion of unarmed people than there is in the 93% of black men that were killed. So because like something like say 70% or 80% of 
that population of black women, which is only 7% of the total, was unarmed. And in that black population of men, which is 93% of the total, because within that population, only 65% of that population was unarmed. Due to that, that means that black women have a higher rate of um, dying unarmed than black men. That literally makes no sense. It makes no sense at all. So, so yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, so basically, they admit that only 7% were black women, but 90% of the 7%, you know, were unarmed. And 80% of the 93%, were he's using the smallest sample the size against a big sample size that doesn't make any sense he's playing with numbers and and he's it's, it's almost like you're talking to me like you think i'm stupid yeah but but people but this guy sent it to me and it got picked up by npr and all this stuff and then npr people because it's a like you know mainstream article that's made for lay people they left out because first of all this guy buried it so they, oh yeah they, they left out that 93 percent were were black men and seven percent were black women. They just they just repeat his conclusion. I think what he what he's what he's doing. He thinks he's he's tricking you. He thinks he, it's like trickery. So what he does is he wants to get your. Um, I know you can't do that to me or you, but to the people that b already believe that, what he does is he throws the history of intersectionality. He throws all these things out there to already get you hooked. You know what I mean? So when yep. he gives you the numbers, you don't even care about the numbers. You care about the conclusion. Yeah, exactly. And he put so much statistical stuff yeah. that was unnecessary. Yeah, like you said, he filibustered through because, the whole paper for five pages. Yeah, yeah. So between the filibustering about the history of intersectionality and the filibustering with the regressional means and all these statistical terms that weren't necessary, you know, just to say, because if he just said, hey, 92% of the people who died were black men, 7% were black women, but within that 93%, you know, it was winning 60% unarmed and Within that seven percent, it was eighty percent unarmed. Therefore, black women have more. If we just put that out there, even the the most diehard intersectional would be like, "Hey, we can't rock." Yeah, with you're this. screwing like, up, dude. You're making us look bad. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So then, this woman on NPR and these other places then have him on. They leave out all that other stuff and just say the conclusion. Yeah, and they know people don't go and read the absolutely. Papers. They so then know this that. guy comes. Yeah. So what I'm saying is, based on the fact that this guy was a real professor, you know that was on like you know real respected publications and radio shows makes me think that this girl that we're talking about might really really have gotten this from a professor because i'm thinking what is this guy's classes like i think you're right man now it sucks what it goes to show you is that they just give degrees away these days you know what i mean they're giving degrees away because the things that she was saying not just giving degrees away not you, but giving like professorship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah you know, I mean, fuck, I might as well go down there and try to get a job. I mean, why not? I mean, I'll, you know, I, I guess they're paying probably $5,000 a term. I'll take a, a, a free $5,000 if all I got to do is go in there and lie two times a week. <laughs> I mean, what the hell? Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? Why not? Yeah, you know? I mean, it's one thing to give away degrees, but it's another thing to give away jobs after the giveaway degrees. On yeah. top of that. Yeah. So, 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 yeah. so for, yeah, for, for the, the listeners. The things that she was saying was know. insane. Yeah, it's insane. For the listeners who don't know, uh, the next thing that Ken and I are talking about, we came we came across this girl who was trying to argue that slave men in antebellum times, she was a college student, and she said that she got this from a professor in her class. She learned this in class. She was saying that uh, her professor taught her that slave men in antebellum times had privilege because they were living in, in the patriarchy, which was the white South. And not only did uh, slave men have privileges and patriarchy over black women black black slave men had more 
privilege and power and patriarchy than the white women on the plantation because the white woman, the mistress of the plantation was only property. She was only the white man's property. And she was also not responsible for any of the racism or white supremacy. She was just going along because the white male uh, master forced her. So in, other, in essence, she was a slave also. Yeah, she wasn't, she was not only a slave, but she was a slave that had it worse than the uh, slave men. And black male slaves. Yeah, yeah. See, and, and the thing about it is that's a person that, you know, by trade, I'm a historian. I love history and I definitely love black history. And I've done a lot of research. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, black people, black men, women, and children on slave plantations, antebellum slavery, were at the level of a dog. This is how, and this is how bad it was. And, you know, it's, it's kind of funny to a certain degree. Black people that worked in the house, the reason why we knew what was going on is because people, slave masters, would talk about what they were going, what they were doing around slaves like, they were the like if you were if your dog is in the house, you can say yeah. whatever you want. The, who's yeah, the dog exactly. gonna tell? Or, 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 you know? or, or, or like your property, like furniture, like 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 your torture's not gonna talk. Your, your furniture, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So people that worked in the house would hear, oh, Master John is gonna be leaving, and they go tell people in the field, and that's how people would get away. They wait till they leave and they get away. So we're talking about people that are looked at as property. There was no political idea of even when Malcolm in 1963, I believe he did the field slave and the house yeah. Negro speech that he did. That's yeah. not history. A lot of people don't believe that, it's but not, it's not history. It's not accurate. It's more like he was, it was more accurate to the modern times and he was using kind of history to, um, a fake history to kind of illustrate like a modern dynamic. And I understand why he was saying it at the time. You know what I mean? So I'm not, I, I can't use what he said at that time for, at that point, 100 years ago. You know what I mean? We can't do that. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. So what she's doing is, one, she's telling a flat out lie. And she's combining today of what she think is going on today as far as black men having more privilege than white women. First of all, black men don't yeah. even make more money than white women. So and, I don't and, even and know what, where she gets that was interesting. From. Uh, we have some lost audio, so we're trying to kind of reconstruct um, the last couple of minutes of audio. But you brought up a word called uh, presentism. You said that um, what she's doing presentism. is presentism. And it's kind of weird because presentism is um, when you take something that's accurate for today and then inaccurately project it into a past situation where it doesn't um, belong. And what she's doing is not even... Um, presentism because somebody could argue what malcolm x was doing or what the woody lynch letter was doing was they were taking like dynamics that weren't that were true for today and then projecting them in the past maybe as a teaching tool or to make a, a powerful illustration like i think they're kind of more like uh maybe parables because you know like you said parables as, right yeah as right. studying like uh history that um the house Negro wasn't as privileged as uh, Malcolm X made out in the, in that speech. Uh, absolutely yeah. not. And, and the Willie Lynch yeah. letter is also not ac actually real, but they're actually more useful as ways to, you know, study the present. Whether it be unite your community. Yeah, you know. yeah. But what she's doing is she's taking something that's not even accurate today and projecting yeah. that into an era where it's even less accurate. So that's like the worst type of presentism i don't even know what you call that i don't know i don't know if that even counts as presentism it's very um i don't i think it's just it's called lying <laughs> yeah yeah basically <laughs> it's called lying she she lied 
you know, black men on plantations never had any privilege over anybody yeah, and, and, because if, and they didn't even have any privilege over black women, because at the end of the day, you if, if someone can do whatever they want to you, then you don't have any privilege. Yeah, exactly. What can you even what can even you even threaten like a black woman uh, with? Because she can just go over your head. Yeah. To the master. If she wants to, you yeah. know. Yeah. And, and the same, and vice versa. If, you know, for whatever reason, a black man and a black woman is having a disagreement, he can go to the master. I mean, it's almost like the slave masters, they're, they're parents. You know, you're, you're at the level of a child. Exactly. That's exactly what you are. What, what you are. Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly uh, what it is. And also, I'm not sure if this part got deleted or not uh, with the recording, but you brought up also how um, with that with the house. Uh, slaves they were kind of like seen as like the level of the dog you know yeah yeah well you know on plantations you know um and this is documented you know what i mean uh and and you can go through all kind of different you know slave narratives whatever slave masters didn't see black people as humans i mean it's in the constitution you know what i mean they don't see you as human so at the end of the day if you're in the house and master john says i'm going to town to do business, he's saying this in front of enslaved Africans in the house because they don't look at you as a human. So now, of course, you yeah, being a yeah, human, it's like it's like talking in front of the dog. You know, yeah. If, you, if, I, if I say to my dog, if I said to my dog, I'm going to kill my neighbor, who, who's my dog going to tell? You know. So that's how they looked at Africans. So, but an African hears that they go to the field and say, "Hey, Master John is leaving on Friday. If you guys are going to get out of here, you better do it when he leaves." That's how a lot of Africans got away. That's how we, we ran off plantations. It's called what they called agency. You know what I mean? So this idea that yeah. we, one had it better than the other. Man, look, a house slave had to deal with it probably worse than a field slave, because if it's a woman, she's being raped on a consistent basis. Yeah. And, like there is no there's nothing she could do about it. And it's, and it's kind of like that whole segregation versus integration thing, you know, where it's like uh, some people say, oh, it's so much worse in the hood or in the black community but now we have a generation of people who grew up integrated as the only black kid in this white school or the only black kid in this neighborhood and now we're starting to see the kind of psychological effects that had like all these a lot of these buzzfeed blavity blacks are the product of yes i was the only uh black person everywhere for the first 20 years of my life so i went to college and these these same black people some of them come from portland they don't come from where i come from they went to different kind of schools they went to private schools nobody knows them nobody knows who they are yeah yeah but nobody black you mean nobody black knows who they are nobody black yeah yeah nobody black knows who they are because because you know I mean? so they didn't come to the pop up out of nowhere yeah, they didn't come to the black experience know, in portland absolutely not you know, they're from a, a suburb called Lake Oswego, or they're from another suburb called Tigard, or they're from Tualatin. They're from where the Blazers live. That's where they come from, where the Blazers live. Because, you know, when they when they do get to these college campuses and they say, oh, no, I'm from Portland, you'd be like, well, what school did you go to? Oh, I went to South Eugene High School. Okay, that's 45 minutes from Portland. Yeah. And you're, you're, you're literally... And I'm not making it up. You're literally the only black person in that school. If, 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 in, unless there's athletes. And, and, and one thing that you learn from talking to these people is they have a lot of like fucked up, traumatized memories, but it comes from oh, yeah. being reminded every day of how inferior they're, they're viewed. You know, like right. a lot of black people, all they think about as far as their mission for their kids is 
I have to get them away from the other black people. But they don't even think about Absolutely. what they're delivering them into. And I have a feeling like House Slave was a lot like that. Like you're just in a environment where you're just constantly um, being reminded that you're a piece of shit. In some ways... It's, that you're a piece of... You're an animal. Yeah, you're an yeah. animal. You're being treated like one all the time. You're getting raped all the time. You're getting called a nigger and you boy your face all the time. At least, At least in the field, you might just see uh, the overseer, you know, not even the master that much. The master comes out every now and then to check on things. But yeah. you're know, main thing with the yeah. overseer and you're only dealing with them during the cotton picking times. The rest of the time, you know, you might be, you know, okay. But in the house, that's 24 seven. You're 24 seven abuse. Yeah. They can, and, and, and their stories, you know, even if it's Phyllis Wheatley's story, there's stories of white women treating slaves horribly. We saw, we know stories of white women who knew that the slave master, their husband, was sleeping with one of the one of the enslaved African women and take it out on the woman, and they would treat them horrible. Yep, yep, yep. Now, never mind that this woman is being raped against her will. You know, I mean, if you want to fast forward, but she's still there's a movie that somehow. came out. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a movie that came out called Birth of a Nation. What was Birth of a Nation about? Protecting white women from who? Black men. So what privilege do we have? I'm trying to find the privilege. You know what I mean? That was what that was what the whole basis of the movie Birth of a Nation was. You have these evil, savage black men. You know, this is 1914. You know, uh, these black men are just raping. They're just they're doing whatever they want. Uh, if you look at, you know, you know, through history or even in movies, you don't see any movies where black men have. And, you know, movies are not a, a great, accurate depiction of history. But hell, if it's not in the books, well, how about the movies? Well, not even in the movies, you're going to see black men having more privilege than white women. On slave plantations, it's just not true. Yeah, you know, white women had the power to split up families. Yeah, and 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 one thing, like I don't, I don't know how true this is or if it's uh, allegorical, but um, one thing that uh, there's a Chris Rock story or a joke that he would say where um, he would say that in the slave rebellions, one of the first uh, people they used to kill in the slave rebellions was the white woman because. She was the one that tended to be the most abusive or carried away, you know, with the power. So a lot of them used to hate her the most because she was the one that would uh, be the most uh, directly abusive. But um, to finish up with what this woman was saying, like we were saying before about I was saying why I think it's possible she might have learned this from um, an actual professor, because I've seen so many professors or so many academics, you know, say so many dataless things and i could see it might even be a black professor it might be like a white um oh, man feminist oh, one. not yeah it, yeah it could be a white yeah. feminist one but but to give us more of the things she says she says she said she said black men in general this this student talking to dr curry black men in general have a certain privilege that white women will never have slavery was terrible and the slaves were in a position way worse than white women that doesn't take away an inherent privilege they have the privilege is made more obvious in today's society we actually learned about this in class, and when you think about it, it does make sense. It's too much for this Twitter post, though. And then she um, continues. She continues, and this is which I thought was really, really interesting. She continues, if a woman accused a black man of, lynch of something that led to him being lynched, that was because the white man wanted it done. White women didn't have any real power of their own. All their power came from white men. White men thought of uh, white women more as property, as if they didn't think of uh, 
black men as more of property. But but she basically is saying that white women when they told um she says she says if a woman accused a black man of something that led to him being lynched, it was because the white man wanted it done. As if the woman didn't know what was what she was sentencing. She didn't know what was gonna happen. Exactly. That's the first thing. But the second thing, I think this is very subtle. She didn't say lied. She said if a woman accused. So yeah. I think she implicitly believes that when white women accused black men of things, these slaves, that they were telling the truth. Because, yeah. because if you're lying, because first off, even if you're telling the truth, if you're telling the truth and you say it to um, a white man, you know, you know you're sentencing the black guy to death, right? So, yeah. so either way, lying or truth, to say it, you have agency by choosing to say it. You know what you're doing. You're not stupid. But the first, but the second yeah. thing is, if you're lying and on top of that, then that's an extra egregious action that you're taking. You're sentencing the person to death knowingly for something that uh, you know is uh, not true. And the fact that she dismisses it so much really makes you think she doesn't even really think the white women were um, were lying. That that she thinks that low of black men then and now that you know the fears, the whatever they have of them uh, is you know true. Yeah, but the thing about it is, if that's the case, if you believe that the white women just didn't know what was going to happen, then show me some evidence of white women saying, I can't believe that they lynched that black man. I didn't want that done. Yeah, yeah. Show me somewhere where the white woman went and called the police and said, I did this, but I didn't want him killed. Exactly. Because if that's the case, and we've seen, then all these women are accomplices to murder. Yeah, and if you study like uh, all the histories, it's not even like that. A lot of, you know, the white women were riding with the men even after, like like Carolyn Bryant, the one who got Emmett Till killed, yeah. she was laughing and happy in court with her sister. And, you know, they were very gleeful about what happened. And she found it flattering that they killed this black boy over her. And I don't think that's a new phenomenon at the time at all. And and what's crazy right. is, um, let's say what you said is true, that they, they did say this, right? And they were shocked and didn't see it coming. If it was a lie, whether you saw it coming or not, like if I lied on somebody and some unforeseen um, circumstances happen out of it, I would still feel like shit and be culpable for lying in the first place. So to me, absolutely. So to me, the fact that she thinks just um, not seeing the results is enough to let white women off the hook, to me, is even more evidence that she doesn't think that the white women were lying, which is very it, disturbing to that's me. That's troubling. Yeah, it's yeah, very, very troubling. Very troubling to me. And she says, she says more stuff. She says, it's not just black men. She puts in quote in scare quotes for some reason. I don't know why. She goes, it's not just black men in scare quotes. It's brown men in general. That includes black people, Indians, etc. Women have always been oppressed by the by the patriarchy, which kind of makes me crazy because I'm like, okay, Indian whole Indian tribes were genocided out of existence, like literally, like a hundred percent out of existence. If you think those men are more privileged than, um their women in any appreciable way or over white women, you know, who have not been genocided out of existence. That's crazy. Because that doesn't exclude black women, black men. Women historically are used as chess pieces in power struggles instead of autonomous humans. If a wo- she's, she's making, she's having nine arguments at the same time. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's fucking, it's fucking nuts. I, well, it's funny. Everybody was lighting her ass up like black men and black yeah. women. Like, you know, uh, everybody was, was lighting her ass up. It was it was crazy. And um, she said something else. 
so somebody somebody asked her a white woman a white woman accused a black man raping her which led to a whole massacre in rosewood now you're telling me that black men in the earlier days had privilege when they weren't even allowed to give a voice and got lynched whenever a white woman falsely lied even once and then she responded yes she did that lie via her white privilege that exists so she at least admits that at least but she goes and she could also get home she, she could also go home and get raped by her husband while no one cared hey i guess sexism what you're, <laughs> yeah. she goes, she goes, you're having 30 arguments at the same time exactly but then she goes hey i guess sexism exists too so what she's saying is yeah this white woman lied you know and got a whole city of black people killed as a result uh, men and women right. like a whole thing burned down but guess what guy she also went home and can get raped by her husband. So sexism exists too. Yeah. So she's she's equated the two. You know, that she uh, doesn't give a damn about black people. She does she does, that way. she does not. She's saying that this white woman um getting raped by her husband is equivalent to this black city getting wiped out burning by her. a whole village down uh, uh, burning a whole city of people down men women and children yeah so you think that the white woman going home and possibly because we don't know for sure yeah possibly possibly getting raped because you said so you know yeah is more important than men women and children being murdered because a white woman lied exactly and, and but then she gets arrogant about it she goes hey i guess sexism exists too like she's she's, she's thinking like she yeah. just dropped a mic drop by mentioning that the white woman yeah. can get raped. You're like, yeah, you know, all that's true about Rosewood and Black Wall Street, but hey, guess what? The white woman can get raped at home too. Hey, I guess sexism she exists. She wants to equal the two. Yeah, but yeah. she gets sarcastic and condescending about it. She goes, hey, I guess sexism exists too. Who knew? It's not either or. I never said I thought sexism was worse. It's just that people on here are straight denying sexism exists. So she's like, you bringing up Rosewood, and blaming the white woman for lying and causing Rosewood or Black Wall Street is uh, is fucked up because you're denying sexism exists. And her exa example of sexism is the white woman possibly getting raped by uh, her white husband. I'm like, she anybody whoever's teaching that should be fired. But I'm thinking if she's not getting it from a teacher, she has to be getting it from some white person. Like, because this is like yes. weird white feminism talking points. Where is she going to come across a white feminist to learn this stuff from? You know, like, because only a white feminist would tell somebody that uh, she has it as bad as, you know, yeah. a black city that got burned down. You know, so so first off, I'm thinking she went to one of these schools where she didn't really have a lot of black people around. Uh, of course not. Before she went to college. And now she's in college. And these people can fill her junk with her head with any type of junk. And she's she's going to take it. And she doesn't ask for any evidence or anything. She just takes it and says, OK, this is real because I'm a woman. And she, even though she's white, she is a woman. You know what I mean? Like, dude, you're she's one. She's having too many arguments at the same time. Two, she's not making none of them make sense because none of them are together at all. Yeah, none of them you are factually I mean? a database, and they're full of all these no. weird false equivalencies. Like anything that happens to a white woman is equal to or worse than what happens to black people. That happens to a group of black people. A group of black people. So and one then, white woman's life is worth what thirty black people? Yeah. Yeah, you know, and, and 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 somehow throughout all this, like uh, the black men are still more privileged and bigger villains than um, the the. And she started arguing with black women. And this is the thing that really disturbs me about this: is white people tell her something. And I'm convinced it has to be a white person. She doesn't seem to question it at all. But a whole bunch of black people are getting on her, including men and women. Like all all of black Twitter was just going in on her. 
and she has nothing but arguments for them even a black male professor like that's how much she devalues black people she like you don't have any of this smoke for whoever this white woman was that uh was telling you this nonsense where you're going to argue with a hundred black people on Twitter, including, uh, PhD professors, you know, and nothing they say can get you off what this white, what this crazy white woman told you, you know, she's complaining. She's like, people are over here acknowledging white man's privilege over white women, acknowledging black men's privilege over black women. But when it comes time to inherit, to acknowledge the privilege a black man has on a white woman, they won't do it. So she's getting mad. Won't. That people won't acknowledge uh, a black man's power over a white woman. She's actually getting upset about it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. She goes, and then she adds, white women will never be part of the patriarchy. They will never reap the benefits that come with masculinity. Those are a set of privileges that don't involve race. So she's trying to cape for white women against black men. Against so, but So that's her argument. She's mad about masculinity. She's mad about masculinity, exactly. And she's also mad, but this was interesting that she said. She was saying... People are willing, this is what she just said, it's crazy, let me just repeat it. She says, people are acknowledging white man's privilege over white women. Like she's saying people in this argument are doing that. People are acknowledging black men's privilege over black women. But when it comes time to acknowledge the inherent, she said inherent, like just being born with privilege a black man has on a white woman, they won't do it. So she's like, she's this is what she's mad at black people for, for not being she's even downgrading to, black women. What, what was that? She's even downgrading black. She's women. downgrading black women. She, yeah, yeah. She, she's saying she's mad that people aren't that black people, including black women, aren't acknowledging that black men have power over white women, black slave men, <laughs> and and she's arguing. She's willing to argue with black women over this. That, yeah, and a black woman responded to her. A black woman. And this is something I always want to make clear because people think that when you badmouth these people that you're badmouthing black women with the implication that these people speak for all, even a majority of black women. But her mentions were full of black women just pissed as hell at her. And this black woman says, girl, shut the hell up. Black masculinity gets black men shot dead in the streets like animals. Thank That's you. the kind of respect yeah. white women want, then they can fucking have it. You know what I mean? Like, But people will try to tell you that if you're not believing this kind of bullshit, you're not listening to black women. But black women aren't even... They're not even trying to hear it. Yeah. Because it makes no sense. Like, it's insanity. Like, this is an insane argument. She could not hold this argument outside of that classroom. That's the only place that if, you know, I'm, I'm still, I'm, I'm praying that she made it up. I'm praying she, she made it up. No, she called the conversation in a room of white liberals. I bet you. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She could go on a talk show or she can go on NPR or Huffington oh, yeah, Post. Yeah, 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 she, yeah, yeah. She can carry this all the way into a a writing job, uh, she, into a career. Yeah, yeah. In, into a career. So she can have it out of the classroom. She, she she'll be working in Buzzfeed in like uh, ten years or something. Absolutely. Yeah, she's a freshman yeah, it, now. That definitely what happened for her. But you can't. She can't have this conversation around black people. Oh no, she she can't have it in front of. Well, she can have it around black people like her, like black people who right. grew up as the only black person in their school. Right. You know, as adults, they all get together and then complain about white people that won't date them. But, you know, yeah, actual black people who grew up around black people, they can't say this. And this girl, like, says to her, like, oh, my God, y'all, these Negroes believe absolutely anything a teacher tells them. They can't even recognize when someone is feeding them pure bullshit. And she responds to this black girl again. She goes, it's not believing whatever a teacher tells you. It's actually looking further into a topic than what your friends tell you. So she's she's she's, she's actually bashing her. Well, for listening you made to, it up. Yeah, she's actually bashing her for listening to other black people. She's like, it's actually looking further into a topic than what your friends tell you. I question what she said, too. Yeah. But I didn't just dismiss it because I thought I knew everything. I listened. So she defers to white people. Like, she's actually making yeah, fun of this Yeah, she defers to white people. Or, yeah. Yep. Yeah. She's making fun of this other black woman 
for listening to the black people around her. She doesn't think black people even have an authority on their own experience. Right, absolutely. Where our experience doesn't matter unless white people give it to us. Exactly, exactly. So, I mean, I hope you're right that she's not learning it from a classroom. Maybe she learned it from like a TA. Maybe she learned it from a TA or maybe she learned it from someone. I'm praying, dude. I'm, I'm having some hope. In, I have hope in education. I'm praying that she's not really in a classroom learning that because that is the dumbest. That's one of the dumbest things I've heard on in, in a long time on Twitter. Yeah. And I've heard a lot of dumb shit, you know? Yeah. And this this is almost so dumb that you it's not believable. It's, it's really scary. You know, it's funny. Like, I was, I used to joke around, argue with people, and I'd say, because they would say, oh, when, as long as you're a man, you, you automatically have um, male privilege or access to patriarchy right. because you're living in a patriarchal society. So they'd be like, duh, if you're a black man, you have residual patriarchy. I'm like, by that, I used to always say, by that logic, you're going to say that slave men had patriarchy over slave women because they were living in a patriarchal South by that logic. Right. If you're going to take it to extremes. And I used to always think that would be like the mic drop that would stop them. And now I realize, you know what? I can't use the argument anymore because now there actually are people who really will get that dumb. Like I actually predicted this argument accidentally like months ago when I was trying to exaggerate the argument to absurd levels to kind of make the person see how stupid it was. And now I realize I'm not sure what level of absurdity is left to use against Yeah, I, I, how far is this going to go? We're in the twilight zone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think we've been trying to get these last 15 minutes out for a while, these technical difficulties, and I think we finally got it yeah. out. So, you know, I'm, yeah, definitely. I'm done. I'm sorry I went so long, but do you have any final thoughts that you want to um, uh, say? I, en I enjoy this, is, this. You know, this is my first time on. I've been meaning to come on for a year and a half, two years now. Uh, the, show's, uh, the, 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 the show's been on for like a year, but we've been friends for like two years now. And so oh, yeah, so, yeah, so, yeah. Something well, just, probably longer than that. Yeah, something longer than that. So then y'all don't no uh because this today was a little more funny ken is fucking funny as shit i want to get you on for something more comedic because i want people to see that side of you you're like one of the fucking funniest people uh i know and we gotta have you on for something uh comedic unfortunately this didn't highlight your comedic side as much as i uh like like you're not just like really fucking smart but you're like really funny too and yeah i appreciate it man you, like you guys are people that, like you mario big mike you know what i'm saying like I, I didn't know people that i connected with where you guys say some stuff i'm like damn i never you know what i mean it's, it's stuff that i'll be thinking about and i'm like i didn't know anybody else would think logically like this about certain topics and certain things like of course on my twitter page i talk sports but you know why i do that yeah, you yeah, know yeah. i used to get into it on my lap, I had another Twitter page, and I used to get into it with uh, the resident hoteps and the feminists and the the black yeah. so-called black elites. The, the you know what I mean, and it became a stressful situation because I, I like I said before, I don't come from a background of privilege. You know what I mean? Yeah. I come from I grew up poor. You know, so for me to come from the street life and then go get some degrees and all that kind of stuff, you know, I started learning that in the square world, it's a weird type of dynamic compared to the street life the things that people do to each other and say to each other in the square will get you killed in the street oh, oh and, and it's way more it's weird in some ways it's way more it's way more cutthroat in a lot of the wrong ways and it's way more yeah. lax in a lot of the wrong yeah. ways like you know yeah. like, like the square world yeah. is more cutthroat where it needs to be lax like you know like people like backstabbing or lying on each other and it's more cut oh man yeah yeah and it's more lax 
when it should be cutthroat. Like people just, you know, thinking they can say anything to anybody and right. not be repercussions and stuff. But right, definitely. So I, I appreciate being able to come on. I want to come on. Make this, this is a regular thing for me now. I want to come on. Oh, you know good, I mean? good, good, like, good. I'm good. I'm glad. Yeah, definitely. Because because you know now that I know we can do this on the phone and all these you know the te- technical stuff get the get all the bugs worked out. Yeah, and, it's and, probably on my uh, end because I'm on and an usually, Android. And you usually, know? well, I was getting error messages on my page, so I think it was um, yeah. me. Uh, you know what I did when I rebooted? I plugged it in directly to the internet instead of using the wi-fi i made a direct connection oh, okay and that seems to have okay. uh, helped yeah so normally it wouldn't take this long it wouldn't run this late it would normally be uh much smoother so don't get deterred by uh what happened today definitely. yeah this is not a regular thing but but yeah yeah i'm i'm glad and yeah i want to definitely have you on for some more um smart but lighthearted stuff because yeah I, yeah definitely definitely man because there's a lot of stuff is you know how we talk like <laughs> a lot of stuff is just funny to me yeah yeah you know, it's just and, you know and, and there's certain people that you know we kind of have conversations about that you know it's it's funny yeah. to me and i know and, a lot and, of people and, go ahead you have these sayings right i call them kenisms I, I i've been writing them down like like what's the one put your egg put an egg in your sock and and beat it like oh put an egg in your sock and beat yeah, it yeah yeah you have like so many of those i just be like writing them down like i don't know where you get like i grew up around old people so my grandparents raised me so i used to hear a lot of old you know, my grandmother, you know, if you if if my grandmother lets you have some money. Right. And she said, I want you to go outside and and rake those leaves. And you didn't do it. You know, she said, well, I ain't worried about it because, you know, a cow needs a tail more than once. I'm like, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> so what she means is a cow needs a tail more than once to, to swat flies off his ass. Yeah. So in other words, you'll be back to ask me for something. Yeah, exactly. You know, just like stuff like that I used to hear when I was a kid. I, my, my grandparents are country. And it makes you know, sense. We're on, we're on the West Coast, yeah. but they're from the South. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, and, and they carry those uh, country sayings with them. And they're like a textbook. Like, they all make sense. Like, like I know what yeah, you mean yeah. about... I had, a, I had a girlfriend uh, that was DOS, and she had um a grandmother straight from the south and she brought me to meet um her grandmother and in one conversation she said like 20 things like that and you have to think about them and you're like damn that shit oh man and she she just shoots them off like just casually like in conversation yeah and that's something that's something that uh we lost like 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 this girl she grew up in that she would have way more sense than what she got from this professor like you know what i mean now yeah yeah this girl grows up an experience that doesn't have that but has it's not a black experience yeah it doesn't have a black experience but she has a professor is treat, teaching her all types of nonsense that's not going to help her at least when a white woman yeah. at least when a white woman learns that she's going to get emboldened to do some crazy take over the world shit when she gets out of college like all this woman all this black girl is learning from that is how to undermine black people when she gets out that's it and she's never going to be able to reach her 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 peak in her in her career because she's going to be so focused on tearing down her own community yep. that you know the only thing you could do is do the bidding of white people yep and of course you know how that is i mean white person will have you training someone you don't even know that, that person about to take your job yep 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 you know yep it, it, so that's that that's that conundrum she's caught in exactly and when they're done with her like you know um and they get her out there and get her to train a replacement or replace her with someone else you know kind of like you know you get those people in the media to use the media as an example like all the old coons on the um right wing side there's the larry elders yeah. and stuff and all the um negro whisperers on the liberal side mm-hmm. they all got the last wave all got phased out 
and now there's a new yeah. wave, and none of those people can come back to the black community now. Like you know, no, they're they're all stuck out in limbo. Yeah, yeah. Like like like, like and people know that with the right wing side, but look at look at um Melissa Harris Perry. Like 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 where's she? She's yeah. You know, even the liberal side She's floating around in space. Yeah, yep. yeah, yep. Yep, and that's and that's sad. Don't sell yourself out, man. Be yourself. You know? Yeah, and this girl, uh, it's a tale all this time, but she's gonna have to learn it for herself, unfortunately. I got you. But yeah, yeah, man. So have a good one, brother. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll, glad you're able to finally come on, and we definitely want to have you on soon, man. Uh, we have some couple of stories we didn't get to today, but uh, we'll definitely touch on them over the weekend. Definitely, definitely. Uh, I'll talk to you soon. All right, man. Be good. All right, peace.